0: do 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 Every podcast needs a theme song. And here's my... Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Restoring History. I am Mike Kelleher, and on today's show, I'll be talking a little bit about some of the processes we use to restore line art for comic book reprints. I'll also be talking with my pal, Len Mihaljevic, about our first comic experiences, as well as our favorite number twos. Yep, you heard that right. Our favorite number twos. And then I'll be joined by color restoration artist Heather Bates, who will do her best to give us some comic book news while simultaneously dealing with my nonsense. But first, as always, this podcast is brought to you by my company, Calistration Incorporated. Visit us at calistration.com and check out our Master Series line of high-quality art restoration prints. Our first set, featuring Little Nemo and Slumberland, is available now. These are restored directly from the original art, and you get a total of four 18-by-24-inch prints, full color, look great hanging on your wall, or displayed in a standard 18-by-24-inch portfolio. New prints are available every couple of months, so visit often at dot com. That's com. All right, now that business is out of the way, let's start talking comics. Well, in today's show, we'll be discussing something that's very important to me, and that's line art. Arguably, the most important aspect of what we do here at Calistration is line art restoration. And the thing that surprised me early on in my art restoration career was not just how difficult it is, but how objective it is. Everyone has different standards as to what is a faithful restoration. And I've realized that most, if not all, of these standards are arbitrary. Now, let me start by explaining digital art restoration in the simplest form. It's just taking artwork that's on paper and transferring it to a digital format. The artwork can be an actual drawing, it can be a piece of printer's film, it can be a photocopy, it can be an old comic, it can be a t-shirt. Anything physical that contains artwork, we can restore that artwork. Sadly, a lot of material gets printed without proper restoration. Of course, anyone can simply scan material that they have copies of, but it's almost impossible to get an even minimal level of quality for most of these sources without adjusting the image in some way. And none of the printed formats that we have available are optimal right out the gate. They all need some level of restoration, uh, whether it's simply cleaning up dust and scratches or painstakingly tracing every pixel of information using a program like Photoshop. Working from the original art will almost always give us the best results, and it is the best roadmap for us to follow in terms of giving the, Give me an example. So, of what the artist wants you to see, even when art, it's only a representation. It's my interpretation of the original art. Let me try to explain that. Take three highly trained, highly experienced restoration artists and give them the job of restoring uh, the the first page of Captain America number 100, uh, which was drawn by Jack Kirby. Each artist is given the original art to scan. And and, let's make sure that each person is using the exact same equipment. So for argument's sake, let's use one of my setups, which uh, we have an iMac using Photoshop CS5 and an Epson 10,000 XL flatbed scanner. And all three of the artists agree to scan the the artwork using the same exact scanner settings. So after hours and hours of work, the artists have completed their project and they've returned a high quality restoration of the line art ready for print. Now, first glance... They look the same, but there are a lot of differences. First, because the original artwork is larger than the size the comics were printed, each artist reduces the, the size of the image. So the height and the width of the image may be slightly different. A minuscule difference, sure. Uh, almost impossible to detect. Uh, and even the nitpickiest readers won't be able to detect that kind of a, a variable without a micrometer. One artist will interpret a cluster of fine dots as something that was intentionally drawn there, while another will remove those dots because the dots didn't make it to the original printing, so we have no idea if the dots were supposed to be seen or if it was just poor printing that caused the dots not to show up in print. Now we start looking at the line art itself. All three of the restorations look nice and clean with crisp lines, uh, but the lines in one version are a tiny bit thicker. Uh, This is great because it picks up every single thin line and shows even single pixels of information, all the tiniest detail. But because everything's a little darker, we start losing a lot of small details in the crosshatch areas where all the fine lines come together. Where there are small traces of white paper showing through on the original art, in the printed version, it's melded together into a big, solid black mass. So version two imagine has the opposite problem some of the lines some of the thin lines have burned out but the fine detail in the cross hatching is is visible and it looks great and then version three addresses both problems the thin lines are visible the fine detail is crisp and clean all the detail is visible whether it's the uh whether it's the thin black lines or the thin leftover white areas in between the black lines Automatically, most people would say, well, obviously version 3 is the correct way of approaching it. You fix all the problems. But that's, that's not the correct answer, because there is no correct answer. There's only interpretations. When you scrutinize the original art, you'll see some interesting things. First, uh, I need to explain something about comic book printing. When comics were printed, there was one shade of black, and that was 100% solid black. That means when the black comic book, comic book art was printed... You would either see black or you would see white, which was the paper. They didn't print gray. If you wanted something to look gray in print, it had to be reduced to a halftone, which is those series of dots that you see. If you've ever seen a black and white photograph in a newspaper, you know the dots I'm talking about. But even those dots are printed at 100% solid black. Take out a magnifying glass, look at it, it's a solid black dot. The space in between the dots give the illusion of gray. So in print, black and white, it was almost like binary, if you're familiar with, with binary code. It's either on or it's off. It's zeros and ones, black and white, and that's it. Right, so anyway, when you scrutinize the original art, you'll notice that the black ink use, uh, used to illustrate the page isn't 100% black. If you get to look at this original art, you'll see that the, 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 the ink looks gray in some areas, They're a little more transparent in some areas than other. Uh, It's the nature of drawing ink. Some lines will be darker and lighter than others. The artist knows this, and he knows that as long as the lines aren't too light, it'll print as 100% black. If the line or portion of the line is too light, it won't print at all. It's a very simple, undisputable undisputable fact, uh, but it's an undisputable fact that leaves us open for a lot of interpretation. Take a look at any line on any original art uh, that tapers off to a point. Any line, as long as it goes from thick to thin, as many, line, uh, as, as many lines do in, in comic art, you'll see that on the original art, as the line gets thinner, the ink often becomes lighter. It often becomes so light that it won't print. Well, what does this mean? Well, it means means you have to make a choice. In the old days of printing, they, they used one of two options. Either darken the entire page to make those thin, light lines more noticeable, which of course would fill in fine cross-hatching details, Or error on the lighter side, which would retain the cross-hatching detail, but ensure that the tail end of the tapered lines, as well as any of the thin lines, would disappear. Or at least break apart. Well, uh, today we have a lot more options. We can easily use the computer to affect one portion of the image without affecting the other. But, now we're screwing with the consistency of the line thicknesses. I believe Jack Kirby knew what he was doing. And by that, I mean, as most people do, I think he was a master of comic art. And if he drew 1,000 lines at various, uh, varying thicknesses, I think he did that for a reason. So for me to go in and decide, okay, well, I'm going to take 10 of these lines and make them thicker or thinner while leaving the other ones at the same, at the, the same thickness uh, in order to preserve the detail, well, I'm, in, I'm interpreting now. It, it's 100% unavoidable. There will always be interpretation. It will always be objective. It's a no-win situation. The, the restoration artists can keep everything uniformly light or uniformly dark and lose beautiful detail, or they can go in and, and retain all the detail but alter the craftsmanship of the original art. Of course, a professional restorer can do any or all of those things and make it so that you'll never notice the interpretations, um, unless you have, a, you have a microscope and a lot of time to be in or retentive about the artwork And for better or worse, we have some passionate comic fans out there that do take the time to scrutinize these books. And admittedly, they're a blessing and a curse, but I'm grateful for them, and I love them all, even when they're pissing me off. There are lots of other potential areas where interpretation is an unavoidable element of art restoration, and I could go on about this for hours. And I'm sure we'll revisit this at some later date, but for now, let's move on to something a little more fun. All right, so joining me now is my very good friend, Len Mahalovich. Say hello, Len. Hello, Len. <laughs> Never lets me down. All right, uh, we're just basically going to talk a little bit about our first experiences with uh, comics. I figure you can't get much more into history of comics than discussing what got you into it in the first place. And for me, I can't remember <laughs> my very my very first comic. Um, really? You, re- you don't remember your I first- do not. I remember. Uh, okay, so here's here's the uh, the long long and short of it. Um, I remember an issue of Commandy or Command I. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Commandy. Commandy. Yeah. And I remember reading that at my aunt's house. I uh, had had cousins that were a little older than me, and it was uh, Commandy number nineteen. And I remember it. I still, I got a copy of the book, uh, and I remember loving it. Um, but obviously, I didn't buy that one. The first book I remember buying was Amazing Spider-Man 177. Bought it right off the stands. And from there, I bought every single issue afterwards. I vaguely remember picking up a Conan comic when I was really young. And I'm assuming it was before I started collecting Spider-Man. Because once I bought Spider-Man, that, I, that was it for me. I was just nothing but Spider-Man from that, from that point on. Uh, so I don't know, uh, I, I don't remember what issue of Conan it was. And obviously it didn't stick with me. Because I was never really a big, uh, really a big Conan fan. Now, uh, what about you? Do you remember? Do you remember the? So,
1: so it's one seventy-seven, which was.
0: I'm trying to think here. That was the, the second
1: psychiatrist, Green Goblin.
0: That was a Green Goblin, the second part of the uh, five issue arc, which the, was which was an the amazing. Psychiat- sp-
1: the psychiatrist that wants to be the Green Goblin.
0: Yes, yes, Bert or Bart something. I don't remember what his name was though.
1: Hamilton was his Bart name.
0: Hamilton. Is that yeah. right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Pathetic. I remember that. All right now, what was the commandy about? Oh, geez. I just, all I remember was that the cover had commandie uh, holding on for dear life
1: to an old car. Oh, I thought that was the big grasshopper one. Was nineteen? No. No, <laughs> no. I don't remember which one was which one. I was. mean, come on. How cool would it be to ride a big grasshopper?
0: <laughs> I have a hard enough time with a riding lawnmower. Never mind a grasshopper. What about you? What? Uh, oh, and the and the thing is with uh, with that first issue of Spider-Man, I can remember exactly where I bought it. I remember the store. It's 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 a bank now, it was it was a convenience store, and I remember having to beg my dad for the whatever thirty cents it was at the uh, at the at the time for, uh, for the books.
1: Still but, only thirty cents. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the I
0: remember I, I was a big fan of the Spider-Man comic strip. Of course, yeah. You know, we got the newspaper every day, as almost everyone did. Yeah, there. that's right. I remember. grabbing yeah. and I remember yeah. uh, reading the, the Spider-Man strip. And I don't know if that was like right around the time the Spider-Man strip started, because I'm pretty sure uh, the strip started like around '76 or '77. So it must have been around the same time. But that was where that was where I read Spider-Man's origin was in the newspaper. Or and then, well, actually, that might have even been later. I don't even remember how the uh, how the paper strip started. What about you? What, what was your first book?
1: Okay, so my first experience with a comic book or my first comic book. Oh, uh, good. Uh, let's mean, uh well, right. whatever so came first. Let's, let's give you the full show. We'll give okay. you the whole story. All right. So, here I am. I'm I'm I think I started a lot younger than you at this because it was the late 60s okay. and it was a good time to be a superhero fan because if you think about it, you had the Spider-Man cartoon, you had the Fantastic Four cartoon, yep. you had the Aquaman cartoon, which had all of the Justice League in it. You had reruns of the 50 Superman show were on all the time. You had Batman live action show had just wrapped up and went immediately into syndication reruns. Mm-hmm. So that stuff was on literally all the time. And remember those old Marvel cartoons where they actually cut out the... You know, the pieces of the comic book and well, the, book.
0: the The funny and, thing is, I never saw one of these until I met you.
1: Yeah. B- believe so it or not. I, grew, I grew up watching that, stuff. Yeah, see, so I did, that
0: I, stuff. I grew up with Shazam and Isis. That was the closest yeah. thing to the superheroes yeah, that, that I had when I was, was a little.
1: was always in the background. <laughs> so one day, I remember this well. It, I was in my, my uh, grandmother's house, and I had just woken from my nap, which tells you that I was really young. <laughs> or last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. My cousin was uh, leaving, and she, uh, she had in her hand a book, and it wasn't like one of my storybooks. It was, you know, bigger, and it had half a cover, which I didn't know what that meant back then. Um, and on that, I saw Batman walking away from the reader, and he was being taken away by the police with handcuffs on. And I was like, what is that? And she goes, it's a comic book. And she walked out the door with it. And I'm like, I need (laughs) to know what a comic book is. So, like, for, like, a year, I was asking, what's a comic book? What's a comic? Oh, you don't want to bother with those things, you know, just rubbish. Um, So bothering my grandmother so much for, like, a year, we were at the the, um, grocery store. I don't know if you had Angelo's or if it was a local brand. For us, but they sold three packs of comics. Oh, I remember those. I love those. Remember those? Yeah. 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 Three for God knows how much. So my three pack, and I still have them, how sad is that, <laughs> was Superman's Girlfriend, 91, um, which is Love is Blind, Lois Langlow's Blind, Thor, 163, which I didn't like that one because Thor talked funny and it was hard to read. <laughs> and, because I was six years old at the time now when this came out. And then um, Sugar and Spike, number 82, which had to do with them meeting their future selves in time travel, which was a little convoluted for a six-year-old, so I like the Superman story. Super- Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, went blind because some guy threw a gas grenade at her and um, they had a super daughter, and he suffered some sort of radiation accident which dif- disfigured him. And, you know, so he flew off into the distance and it was a angst filled story about how Lois and Superman were still in love, even though she, she couldn't see. They cured uh, her hey, hey, blindness hold up, hold up, hold, up, hold up.
0: You yeah. asked me about my first book. I couldn't even describe. I could barely describe the cover. You,
1: yeah, I can't. I, I told I can't you this remember. was long. But. So it was it was a fantastic story. It. You know, would it hold up if I read it right now? It's, it's not going to seem like the best literary piece, but to a six-year-old, it was just marvelously executed. Yep. And it got me hooked.
0: That, uh, I couldn't remember 99% of the stuff that I read as a kid. Of course, uh, most of the Spider-Man, uh, I, I have like a gist of the entire uh, mythos. Um, but if you ask me uh, most specific issues, well, of course, when I was a kid, you could, you could name an issue and a page number. I could tell you what was going on. I could probably recite the dialogue. Uh, just, you know, now I got literally like uh, almost 40 years removed. I don't know if yeah. I can uh, remember uh, most of this stuff anymore. Now, at, at least for me, with, uh, with discovering Spider Man, before, before Spider Man, I was just, uh, everything entertainment for me was television and reading. Mm-hmm. Reading of course at the time, what did I, well, I was reading it, uh uh Hardy Boys, Encyclopedia Brown, that kind of stuff. My like, guy at the time what was uh, what was big on television, like the six million dollar man, um and that's the yeah. only thing that's the only thing that's coming to mind right now. Oh, Charlie's r- Angels. The rookies, SWAT. Well, i wasn 't into the cop shows charlie 's angels I was in, i was into I was into the shows that were seemed a little more uh you know fantastical because so, so of course, I loved the saturday morning shows okay oh, yeah. well Hulk came i think Later you know, on, yeah Hulk came out after I started reading spider man i 'm pretty sure uh, and that you know, that just uh, hooked me on on comics uh, period i mean I, I started I started buying everything after that yeah but for me, I remember i specifically remember being told. That my vocabulary was really good, and I, <laughs> and, and, and I really yeah, thanks Stan. I credit I, I, I credit yeah, all those uh, all those old comics with you know all the words that I was uh, that I was coming up with. It re- I already had a a good habit of reading, so you know the comics didn't really help that along, but it re- it really did. It helped my vocabulary. It, it, I think socially, it helped me a little bit. Yeah, you know, and of course with you know, we, I'm not going to sit here and go into the entire, uh, the entire thing of how incredible Spider-Man and Peter Parker is, uh, but it, I, I was able to take a lot of those lessons to heart that we were, you know, that we were getting uh, from those books and, and translated into my increasingly difficult adolescent life as I was heading toward being a teenager because I was about, I must have been ten or eleven by the time I really got into comics.
1: Isn't it amazing the little snippets of knowledge that you pick up from comic books. And when you apply them to everyday life, people just do a double take and, and looked at you like a kid and say, how did you know that? Right. Like, <laughs> you know, how did you know that Grant's tomb was in New York? It's like, cause the green goblin put a bomb there. Well,
0: yeah. Exactly. I knew, I knew more about New York city than I knew about my own hometown by exactly. the time, by the time I was, by the time I was 12 years old now. And of course, uh, like I said, I had already really been into reading at the when I was that age. I wanted to be a writer, and that quickly changed into wanting to be an artist. And I'm I'm assuming it was all because uh, of Ross Andrew. I loved Ross Andrew's work in in, in Spider Man. Wasn't that, it
1: incredible? Yeah, it,
0: it was. And I used to sit there, and I and uh, this will kind of lead into. The, the point, the, well, the supposed point of this podcast, which is uh, my talking about uh, restoring comic art. But I used to sit down and, you know, we, we, never, we, we didn't really have paper laying around the house. And I don't know how it was in your house. It wasn't like today where everyone just has printer paper laying around. You, you might be lucky to have a legal pad or something uh, laying around for you to, you know, the scribble on. But I would have to go and scrounge for paper. And I'd go and find my mother's Harlequin romance novels. And there'd always be a couple blank pages at the end. And, of course, they're about half the size of a comic book. But I'd rip them out, and I would just copy comic book covers. And I would just copy them onto these uh, little sheets of paper. Sadly, none of them survived. I don't have any of those anymore. Uh, but that was my first foray into uh, restoring comic book art. And never thought, never dreamed that 35 years later that's what I would
1: be doing for a living wow that that's funny about the about the paper i never my mom was a teacher so we always had you know there was always a ream of uh copier paper or printer paper or whatever you want to call it around yeah i'm, I'm sure that uh, you know
0: i'm sure most people had paper we were just weird household growing up i, I guess <laughs> three paperless you were paperless you were ahead of your time yeah exactly yes yeah we were green the thing, the thing that I was uh, thinking about back with, uh, I, I think the thing that I was most excited about when I was a kid, and I was never able to get it. I wasn't able to get this until uh, I was in my twenties, and that was uh, Origin of Marvel Comics. You remember that?
1: I do. It was a, it was a tough read though, because I, I got it when it came out. I didn't get the hardcover, yeah. unfortunately. I got the paperback because the hardcover was just too expensive, and I got them when they came out, and. Stan's commentary before each one was priceless. I actually got son of origins before I got origins. And it it was priceless, but it was very vocabulary improving, I guess is (laughs) is a good adjective, because there were a lot of words in there I didn't understand at the time.
0: No, I used to, we used to go. Uh, I don't remember what store it was. A local department store. you would have like a local, a, a couple local department stores, and uh, I don't remember which one it was, but they had a book section. I just always remember it being there. But it was the price was astronomical. It was like seven ninety nine or something like that. There's no way.
1: I, I thought it was like ten bucks. It could have been,
0: yeah. yeah. But there, there was no way that my parents were going to spend that much money on a comic book, uh, you know, for me. So I was never, I was never able to get it. Although. Uh, one year for Christmas, I did get. The, do you remember the little, uh, the paperback uh, reprints? And they did Spider-Man, and uh, I think they did Hulk.
1: Oh yes, I do remember yeah, those. They, they, they Fantastic! Were, I had the Fantastic Four, and I had Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, they they were literally the size of a paperback book. They were really
1: small. Okay. Uh, maybe So, that, so I mean, the younger folks in our audience yeah. need to know that back then reprints were not a common thing. And you couldn't just go on the internet and get reprints. We had never seen a lot of these comic covers before because we'd never had exposure to these books. These books came out years before we were born. There There were no comic book stores. There were few comic conventions. And we just had no way of buying back issues or even seeing it. Right. I mean, you, you, of course, you had a,
0: you, uh, a few of the larger titles, like, uh, you know, Spider-Man had Marvel Tales. and uh, Well, actually, Marvel Tales was the only, uh, well, Marvel Tales and what was the uh,
1: Hulk reprint? Uh, it was uh, Marvel Super Heroes. Marvel
0: Super Heroes. That ran about 100
1: yeah. issues. Yeah.
0: And all the other ones. But, but yeah, they, they did. But they did different covers for them. Well, so on, on some on of them, and I actually he, have, I have never some... never saw the
1: original cover.
0: I have some interesting stories on on, on that. Well, uh, they're interesting to me. I don't know if anybody else is going to think they're interesting. But yeah, for, you know, in terms of the reprints, it was really hard. There, there wasn't a lot of it out there. And usually the you know, like, uh, Marvel triple action or Marvel super action, uh, the Captain America reprints, they would run for what? Maybe thirty, forty issues if you were lucky. And, yeah, and, you know, So you didn't get to see a lot a lot of it And again, it was mostly the more important A lot of the bigger selling titles Were the were the ones that you'd see reprints of yeah, Well, the,
1: yeah, I saw Spider-Man 1 through 6 And Fantastic Four 1 through 6 so many times But then when you get after 6 Nobody ever reprinted those Everybody wanted to start from number 1 The, right. the book could hold about 6 issues And that was all you got Okay, ran, random question time Yeah um, Favorite issue number two. Favorite
0: okay. issue number two? F- favorite, favorite number, number two. two. Oh, my God. And yeah, You're talking about comics. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not uh, talking about uh, comics. I'm talking about comics. Right, right. Although I do keep a list of those, too. Uh, my favorite number two. That's a whole different <laughs> podcast, folks. <laughs> um, geez, I don't know. Maybe, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's not Spider-Man. I was never, never a huge fan of the uh, of the vulture. I really don't have an answer for that. And, wow. and of course, and, and especially if we're talking about uh, if we're talking about older books, uh, maybe Fantastic Four. That was a good number too, with the Skrulls. Yeah. Um. But geez, what are my other choices?
1: Uh, well, yeah. the, the Avengers when uh, the Hulk left.
0: No, no. See, I, well, I was never a huge. I, oh. I, I know. I know you love the uh, the original Avengers, but I was never a big fan. Never a big fan um, of the Avengers. The Hulk, with, the Hulk with the Toad Men. That I I love the original six issues of the Hulk. Yeah, I, I think I think those are uh, so yeah. underrated. Uh, I, they I, are. I love that stuff. They are. And um,
1: uh, I Daredevil even, getting his ass kicked by Electro. I
0: I I love uh, I love uh, Ditko's really quirky take on the uh, on the Hulk. That was uh, great. Now who who oh, Daredevil for with Electro. Yeah, again, I was never a big uh, Daredevil fan either.
1: Yeah,
0: not until um, not until uh, Frank Miller took over.
1: Yeah, the Iron Man and Thor offerings were very weak. I think they both faced off against communist generals.
0: <laughs> well, see, a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff that came out in the '60s just really didn't interest me uh, that much until they had some kind of uh, momentum going. Yeah, it, it wasn't until they came up like, uh, and I think Iron Man, even even Iron Man, I wasn't really that interested in it until they started that whole, that you know that whole storyline with uh, Stark being a drunk, and then I started going back, and reading and reading all that stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, to, to get off of Marvel, same thing with the Flash. I was never huge into Flash, but towards the end of the run, because uh, I think it ended with issue 250 back in the uh, mid 80s, and yeah. uh, they had the Trial of the Flash, and I just got. So into it. I just started uh, you know back then I was able to go down to our local comic shop, and uh, buy copies of the book for like a quarter a piece, and I was able to get to like most of the run from like probably like issues number one forty or one fifty all the way up.
1: Well, it, it's funny sometimes, you know, you, you when you were talking about the first six issues of the Hulk, that that's really a book that's a prime example of it's a good concept, but it really needed to find its way. Right, you know, the it went from the hulk turning day and night and that didn't seem to work out so they you know introduced radiation into it so then you know he's got a kid sidekick riding on his back who does you know and a monster who does anything that this kid sidekick wants until he falls asleep yeah. and then he's got bruce banner's brain again and then he's brutish again and misunderstood and You know, it it was just really a good character that was not finding its way. And then you talk about things like The Trial of the Flash. That was when the book's popularity was kind of topping out, you know, because you can only be super fast for so long and make it interesting. You know, these books lose their way sometimes. Green Lantern, another one. You know, let's put them with Green Arrow and drive them around the country and talk about social issues was a great idea because they, they went as far as they could with just power ring stories. Right.
0: Now, in in terms of with comic, what, what was what was more interesting to you? If there, and you might not even have a uh, a real answer to this, art or story? You know,
1: um, art, art is a matter of taste. Yes. So, well, to to an extent, so a story. Yeah, um, I loved the invaders, but I hated the artwork. Yet, I read them all because I, I tolerated Frank Robbins' artwork. I appreciate it a lot more now, but at the time, I didn't like it. Um, all the old Avengers that I'm so fond of, um, Don Heck took over for Jack Kirby. And, and Don Heck was good in his own right, but he was no Jack Kirby. So it was it was hard to follow. <laughs> um, you know, there have been a lot of really bad stories out there with some really great artwork and I just don't gravitate towards those. So I'm more forgiving of art than I am of story, I have to say.
0: Hmm. Okay, interesting. Early on, I didn't really care much uh, about the art at all. It was, it was almost all, all about the stories. And now they're, they're so intertwined for me. where you know, if, if the art is bad, especially the storytelling uh, aspect of the art, if that's bad, I just, I, I just can't
1: enjoy the... Well, we, the we've been around it all. so long, we're, we're bound to be more critical of it. Oh, but sure. it's, it's just, you know, if you have two books in front of you, and one you really enjoy the story, but the art is eh, and the other one it's, you know, just a pleasure to look at and flip through, but you're not even going to read the words because the story is just, you know, flat, right. which one are you going to tolerate more? yeah say it 's say it's a hundred page graphic novel, which one are you going to really spend some time with
0: yep. back to a little bit about um, again, what, you know what we do with the uh, with the comic re- uh, restoration in terms of as you 're you're, you're still i don 't think you 're as avid a comic reader as you used to be when we when we met twenty years ago, both of us were still really, really into. Yeah, uh, it, not not just uh, collecting. Because I think we're both into collecting, but I think we, at the time we were still into uh, reading the current stuff. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. And probably up even up until I remember discussing books with you well into when uh, the Ultimate series started, which yeah, was, like, oh, fifteen absolutely. years ago now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, Civil War and all that stuff. Yeah. In terms of these days, you, what, are you are you reading any, any new stuff at all?
1: I do. Um, I have a digital subscription to Marvel, because I tend to read that a lot. It, it's nice, because you can get it right on the iPad, and yeah. you don't have to dig through long boxes. That's kind of a huge thing for me right now. But the newer stuff creeps in there every once in a while. Uh, but, I'll re- but I'll binge read it. I guess that's that's the term now. I used to call it marathon, but <laughs> binge is the term that's taken taken over. Yeah. So... I read all 12 issues of the Superior Era Spider-Man at once. Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm like, okay, this isn't bad. It's when Dr. Octopus basically took over Spider-Man's body and ran his life to say, this is what I would do if I were Spider-Man. Right. And it's interesting how he, you know, the different perspective he had on the same life. Yeah. And I'll read those all at once versus, you know, serializing you know, because when I was back, when I was reading, I was reading, you know, 20, 30 tiles a month and I was able to keep them all straight in my head. Yeah. I, I can't do that now. Because <laughs> we're, we're making ourselves sound like we're 500 years old, but it's, I, I, I feel like it's we're, we're just, we're just busy folks. We're not really that old. Right.
0: Right. Well, and plus, I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't enjoy the books as much. And if I find when I'm, when I am buying books these days, I'm buying collected editions. And uh, you know not just the, you know, not just the you know, the, old, the old stuff, but even collected editions of the new stuff, I rarely will buy uh, what they 're calling the floppies now the individual the individual issues
1: and i hate to I hate to see it dying on the vine, but the industry is actually steering it that way. I mean you know big time well first of all, brick and mortar bookstores are closing in droves. Um, newsstands don't really carry as much anymore, and the newsstands have gotten more sophisticated, where they're carrying newspapers and graphic novels. Right. I mean, you know, I travel a lot, and when I when I would take an international flight, I treat myself to buying a graphic novel because there were no floppy comic books in the spinner racks. Right. They're just gone. They're not in the. Air- there were not in the airports. They were just graphic novels. Yep.
0: Now. You have a very in-depth knowledge of the things that we do here in terms of uh, art restoration. You've seen me do this stuff. You've even sat in and helped out a, a, a few times. In, in terms of what, what we're able to do now with, uh, with the reprints, the changes in quality, the, the improvements in quality. When we're able to sit down and reprint Amazing Spider-Man number one, Fantastic Four number one through ten, and you're able to see them in the pristine format. Uh, as compared to the original format uh, 60 years ago With the low quality printing and everything What are your thoughts on that? And, 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 let, me, and let me explain why I'm even asking I see, I, I, I get this uh, I don't want to say a complaint But I get this, this comment a lot That when people want reprints of comics A lot of them say they want the books to look old and by that, they mean they want uh, the paper to be a little bit yellow. They want the colors to be a little bit on the dull side. Does it have to smell like the basement? <laughs> well, that's the way I prefer it. Um, for you, the comic experience—is it you know—is it holding that old book in, in your hands? Do you have that? Do you feel that same kind of magic? I guess when you're holding a. Uh, you know, a new pristine uh reproduction
1: of a of a of a comic compared so, to, that oh, okay. old, to that old to So stuff. there's the collector in me and there's the reader in me. Okay. As you know, collecting is all about the thrill of the hunt. Yep. It's about the story that got you to holding that comic book in your hand. Yep. And I don't think it's fair comparison to say, you know, oh, it's the artwork and the and the poor quality printing that's driving me to feel this way. Mm-hmm. You know. I, the fact of the matter is you, could, you can reprint Spider-Man number six you know, on old paper and make it look exactly like the other, the one that I might find at a yard sale for a dollar. Okay? But if I know that that was recreated to look that way, I am not going to feel the same way. So that's the collector in me getting all revved up about it. Now, if I want to go and I want to dive into, let's say, the first 12 issues of Spider-Man, yeah. Do I want you to make it look great? I want you to make it look great. I want you to, you know, stick out every finger that might be in the background of a character, or I want to see everything that... Was there the way the artist meant me to see it? Right, right. I don't need to see all the dots and grid lines and you know right. creases glad- from the scan and imperfections.
0: I'm glad to hear you say that because I've had a lot of uh, conversations over the years uh, with people where, like, like I said, they 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 think that these old comics were. They pick up a copy of the Amazing Spider-Man number six And it's all yellowed and all beat up And it's almost as if they feel that it came off the press that way And when I tried to explain to them that you know, it's Like, no, I mean, when this, when this came off the press If you bought, if you bought a newspaper today uh, uh, If you bought today's newspaper today it's it's not a yellow newspaper, and I and I realize that you know, newsprint yeah. is even a little better today. But even back in the nineteen seventy the, the yeah. newspapers were not well, yellow. The covers yellow. had
1: gloss on it, and wore
0: off. Right, but this newsprint just goes bad, and of course you know, it turns yellow. That affects the colors. Um, the, you know, the printing was you know, printing was terrible, and it, it just it it baffles me when uh, it, when people want. To have their comics recreated simply by when when a company will scan a book and they'll just, yeah. they'll, they'll scan a copy of well, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number six and they'll just print those results. They'll put it through Photoshop. They'll try to uh, clean it up a little bit, and it, it's weird to me. It, but it, but it, when
1: you get that, you you focus on the imperfections, and I think these people just can't separate their inner collector from their inner reader, and. You know, they, they're looking at it and they're thinking that, okay, I, I like to see all the creases and the white lines and the, you know, all of the imperfections because this is how I think that it should look. And if I were to pick it up at a yard sale, this is how it would look. Right. Not, this is how it meant. This is was how it meant to be. If I pulled this off the newsstand, it's closer to what I have in my hand now that was digitally recreated. Right. Or... Pretend you're Stan Lee, and this proof gets dropped into your office. You know how perfect is that? Right. But I mean, as as someone like me,
0: that I mean, at least now at this point in my life, I mean, you know, the, the artwork is what's so important to me. And the more I've gotten to work on, I, I wish I'd prepared for this and come up with the issue number. Uh, years ago, we redid uh, some of the first um, Ramita books for Amazing Spider-Man. So, probably in the 40s or 50s. Might have been right around the. the 40 uh, was his first one. Which one? 40. Yep, yeah, it might have been uh, right around, uh, what the, I think it might have been 39. Um, but right around, right around the first appearance, uh, the first time that we saw uh, Mary Jane's face, uh, which I think was what like 48 or something. But regard, no matter what, what issue it was, I remember uh, we had gotten some really good scans. Of Folks,
1: the, if you know what issue it is, <laughs> illustration.com and tell Mike.
0: I'm just going to look it up anyway. Um, I just remember we got, for the first time, we had gotten some really good scans of the, uh, of the film, of, of the artwork. And I was blown away by how much detail there was in the background of some of these pages that have never, ever seen print before. Uh, the original printing, everything was just blown out. So all this really fine uh, detail in uh, brickwork in the buildings, uh, just the, the details in the trees, uh, just gorgeous, gorgeous work. And it, 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 it hit me then that so much that we've seen in comics over the you know, forty years that I've been collecting, uh, it's not representative of this beautiful artwork you know, that, that's you know, that's out there, and we just kind of take it for granted. And again, maybe because we're more into the stories uh, than the art, and maybe we're more forgiving of the art because we understand, either, even if it's subliminally, we understand that the printing process was so bad that it's going to look awful anyway. And so maybe we just kind of like, okay, well, that's the, that's the norm, and we'll you know, we either accept it or we, uh, we don't accept it. But there's so much beautiful stuff out there, and that, that leads into a quick story, which I think I told you before. Like I said, we, uh, I was just referencing some film that we have. Uh, as, uh, as you probably know, we do a lot of uh, restoration work for the Marvel Masterworks line of reprints, and I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to go to the warehouse where all the film was stored and got to go through, go through all that. I'm not going to get really deep into the details about the, the warehouse itself, but I wanted to just relay a quick little story about my expectations. What, and why the, and am I re-
1: picturing, like, the part in The Wizard of Oz where they had to, you know, restuff the scarecrow and polish the Tin Man oh, before I was dev- could go there?
0: I was devastated. So... I got the call to go give a hand at the uh at the warehouse. We're just going to go through and inventory all of the film and it's in a it's in a small mid-American town that the the <laughs> the website for this small town it literally had Walmart and Taco Bell as points of interest for visitors that was their big that was their big attraction and flew out flew out there and the entire time I had this just this vision in my head that I was going to get off the plane I would be greeted by my editor who would take me to a limousine and we would drive to this secret location and when we got to the when we got to this place there like some be, silo elevator ex- would drop exa- down. exactly yeah, yeah they're like this little <laughs> bunker and you'd walk in and True secret
1: you'd, you'd, agent music yeah
0: <laughs> you'd, you'd, you'd take the elevator down like 40 40 Uh, floors underground and the doors would open up and there'd be these, just like a giant lobby with these pillars of the Hulk and Thor holding up the ceiling, 40 feet tall. Just everything made of marble and that beautiful heavenly music playing in the background and Stan Lee would walk up to us and say, welcome, here's a smoking jacket for you to wear and we'd all walk in and start going in looking at all this just beautiful artwork everywhere and of course, the reality was, uh, we, <laughs> my editor picked me up in a rental car, and we drove to a warehouse.
1: And you were there for like a month, and you ate Taco <laughs> Bell the whole time. That was a that was good
0: Taco Bell. I mean, it's it's hard to have bad Taco <laughs> Bell. It was. I don't. I don't want to uh, make it sound like it didn't love because it was an amazing experience being able to go through all uh, all that material. And yeah, it was. It was about six months. Uh, probably, yeah. Like five or six months spread right, over a three-year period that we uh, that we spent just going through all that all that stuff, but it was amazing, and I'll I'll probably tell a lot more more stories about that as uh so, as,
1: as so our just uh, just to catch the uh, our listeners up a little bit yeah these were not the. Uh, all the original artwork it was the stat production copies
0: that oh fit, right, to uh, you have no art you know, uh, no artwork, it was just all all film, yeah, no other way to describe it, just film and photocopies, and that was that was pretty much it, but it was still pretty cool to it was, it was cool to go through of course the the coolness of it lasted for like ten minutes until you realized that it was a job that we had a deadline on, and we were <laughs> going to be putting in twelve to fourteen hour days. And just, just to try to get it, get it over with. And so you, you become kind of numb to the excitement after a while. Ah, uh, but the Taco Bell. I think there was a Pizza Hut there, too. Oh, I th- okay. I, I
1: think so. So you can change it up a little
0: bit. <laughs> That's right. All right, well, we're, we're uh, running out of time here. So I want to give you an opportunity to tell us a little about uh, a really cool project that you've been working on uh, called Tracksuit
1: Man. And I'll, I'll let
0: you take it from there. Well, tell,
1: okay. me, tell me about this. www.TrackSuitMan.com Okay, TrackSuitMan is a comic book that I created. Well, I kind of didn't create it. I lived it. <laughs> so as, as Mike knows, but I'll tell the audience, I travel for work. And for about a year and a half, I was going on the same flight. And there was, everybody's seen this guy at the airport. So this guy for me was the same guy every single week. And he really stood out because he wore a ridiculous tracksuit. And what he would do was he would push his way in front of people in line. He'd do anything to get on the plane first. He's he's faked uh, being handicapped. He's faked injuries. He's pushed his way in front of old ladies in wheelchairs. All, you name it, he's done it. So what I did was I started posting it on Facebook and commenting on it. And... I started getting followers and then friend requests.
0: It was my favorite part of Mondays.
1: Yeah, everybody Watch. loved Monday morning because yeah, it was exactly. filled with yeah. tracksuit man's adventures. And just <laughs> when I thought he couldn't do anything more outrageous than the week before, he usually didn't disappoint. So Mike here was the one who talked me into it. He told me we were at the New York Comic Con, and he said, you have to make this into a comic book. He goes, you have a perfect story, and it just fell on your lap how can you not do this? And I realized he was right. And I'm not going to give a whole bunch of spoilers away because I do want people to enjoy the comic book, but every single, let's call it, episode <laughs> of Tracksuit Man, um, the best ones are chronicled in the comic book, and they're chronicled the way that they really happen. So this, this is all true. I lived it. Mike witnessed it, and sometimes the uh, Facebook posts from people, some of the responses were really funny, and we put those up as well. It's one of those things where nobody sees themselves as a bad guy. This guy had no idea, probably, that he was doing anything wrong. And that he has such a huge following,
0: which is the most amazing thing, because as far as we know, this gentleman has no idea
1: that no, he, he doesn't have any idea,
0: right? Yeah, that there's this uh, uh, Facebook page dedicated to him, and that there's now a a, a relatively uh, good-selling independent comic uh, about his uh, shenanigans. Yeah, um, and I I was uh, lucky enough to uh, to illustrate one of the pages, and when you <laughs> when you sit down, and when you when you read uh, Len's posts, he, it's a it's a little condensed version, and if you're ever lucky enough to listen to Len give a more uh, detailed explanation of this uh, of this guy, the, the stories are amazing. Uh, so thank you. Pick, pick up yeah, pick a copy, of the book. what's that uh, website again? So
1: it's it's on everything is available on tracksuitman.com. We're on Comicology, iTunes, uh, Barnes and Noble Nook, and Amazon Kindle. Wonderful,
0: wonderful, wonderful. All right, well, I want to say thank you for helping me do my very first podcast here. And It's hope-
1: been so much fun. Thank good. you for inviting
0: me along. Hopefully this is just the first of many for, uh, for both of us. And uh, anything,
1: any closing remarks? Good luck on your podcast. Keep, keep it going, and I'll be back. Thank you very much. All right, thanks, Lynn. All right, thank you. All right, now
0: joining us with the news is Heather Bates. How are you doing, Heather?
2: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing just fine. You got some news for us? I do. All right, go right ahead.
2: All right. Marvel Comics has announced that they are ending the Marvel Universe in Secret Wars. The Marvel Universe, as we know it, will be destroyed. Marvel Editor-in-Chief Axel Alonso asked, what would you do if you learned... Oh, hold
0: on, hold on, hold on. What? Hold on. Is that... That's what Axel Alonzo was saying?
2: Yes, it's in quotes.
0: He doesn't sound like that.
2: Oh, I don't know what he sounds like.
0: Well, if if you're going to quote the man, try to sound like the man. He's got a deeper voice than that.
2: Oh, man. Go on, try it. (laughs) What would you do if you learned today was your last day on Earth? That's nice. Go ahead. That's the question your favorite Marvel heroes are going to ask themselves in their last days storyline as they brace for secret wars and end... And the end of the Marvel Universe.
0: Nice. Nice. (laughs) Axel will be proud. All right.
2: (laughs) Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Battle World will Marvel Universe as you know it. That doesn't make any sense.
0: Oh, that's probably my mistake. I I just copied and pasted and edited things out. All right. Keep going anyway.
2: What will the heroes do with their final hours? Who will they want to spend their last days with? Last Days is the first of three new brandings for series unique to Secret Wars, says Marvel SVP sales and marketing David Gabriel. Each branding will bear its own unique trade dress and logo treatment.
1: Sounds
0: just like him, boy.
2: Clearly defining its relationship to the main Secret Wars story. Before Secret Wars can begin, the Marvel Universe must end. And it all starts in May, as Marvel's heroes face their last days.
0: Sweet. <laughs> what else you got?
2: In more Marvel news, the comic book rights for the Star Wars franchise has reverted back to Marvel, about a year after it was announced that Dark Horse would no longer be publishing the popular series. The Force kicks off with three new titles, the first starts in January with Star Wars, a new series from Jason Aaron and John Cassidy. This series follows the events of Star Wars Episode IV, A New Hope, with Luke Skywalker and Rebel Alliance fighting against the Galactic Empire, fresh off the destruction of the Death Star. If you're looking to join a darker side of the Force, subscribe to Darth Vader a new series from Kieran Gillen and Salvador LaRoca.
0: I'm sure none of those names you just said were pronounced correctly, but go ahead.
2: LaRocca sounds right. That could be right. Follow the toll <laughs> on, the, on the main man behind the mask after the de- the destruction of the Death Star and find out just what it takes to be the Dark Lord of the Sith. That starts in February. Finally, a new series from Mark Wade and Terry Dodson called nice. Princess Leia. The series promises to look at Leia like never before, focusing on the personal strength that saw her through her terrible trials after the destruction of her home planet, Alderaan, at the hands of the Galactic Empire, and that one begins in March.
0: Yes, there's nothing more I wanted to know than just more of the politics that were going on after Alderaan was destroyed. That's going to be an exciting book. All right.
2: From Dark Horse Comics... Dark Horse and Naughty Dog have joined forces to bring us the Art of the Uncharted Trilogy. Hot off the success of The Art of the Last of Us and The Art of Naughty Dog, Dark Horse Comics and Naughty Dog are launching The Art of the Uncharted Trilogy in April 2015. A breathtaking, comprehensive exploration into the critically acclaimed Uncharted video game franchise. The art of the Uncharted trilogy offers a detailed look at the art of one of the most exciting game series of this generation. Filled with never-before-seen art from Naughty Dog, spanning Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, Uncharted 2, Among Thieves, and Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, with insightful commentary from the game's creators, this epic volume is an incredible opportunity to own a piece of uncharted history.
0: That's the end of that one?
2: Oh, there's a little bit more.
0: Oh, because I, I, I'm showing my lack of geekiness, but I don't know any of those games. I saw some of the preview artwork, and it's beautiful. It's, it'll be a really nice book, but I, I don't know any of these.
2: Well, you know more than I do.
0: Oh, you don't play games?
2: Not really. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> well, next.
2: Next. <laughs> this book is an inside look... Oh,
0: more. we weren't even done with that one. Well, oh. it's
2: just a little blurb. All right, go ahead,
0: read it. Don't let me interrupt.
2: All right. This book is an inside look at our creative process. The technology and the artistry that goes into making Nathan Drake's adventures come to life, said Eric... Oh, geez, Pan... Gill- Gillinan?
0: And I'm sure he didn't sound anything like that either, Mm-mm. so...
2: Art director at Naughty Dog, fans of the series and art in general will find many hidden treasures in this book, and it's available in April uh, for thirty nine ninety nine on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Indie Bound.
0: Oh, that's not a bad price. We bought some of those art books before, and they can be pretty expensive. Yeah, free commercial for Dark Horse. Yes. All right. <clears throat> what else you got?
2: Okay. Marvel Masterworks Volume 221 will be the fourteenth book of the series to feature the God of Thunder. The mighty Thor adds another volume to his saga of Asgardian Adventure in the Marvel Masterworks. Thor is lucky to have the Hercules at his side because Loki the Hercules <laughs> That's what nice. it says, well, man. It can only
0: be one Hercules. <laughs> uh
2: because Loki has teamed with Fire Lord in a bid to usurp Odin's throne. Meanwhile, Jane Foster has returned, and Thor is torn between aiding her on Earth and the defense of Asgard. Did we work on this book? I have no idea.
0: I don't even remember.
2: I've worked on so many different things, I can't keep track.
0: Yeah, I don't remember if we worked on this one or not. Well, let's assume we didn't, so we don't falsely take credit for something that we didn't actually do. So, good good. job to whoever did it. Yes. Whoever who did it. Yes. Yes. All right. The Hercules. The Hercules.
2: All right. Then when the absorbing man and Ulick the Troll enter the fray, the drama <laughs> reaches...
0: Ulick the Troll. Go ahead.
2: Did I say that right?
0: I have no idea.
2: You're supposed to know more than me.
0: I do. Uh,
2: the drama reaches epic proportions that will have you on the edge of your seat. Before it's over, Thor will battle the gods of Egypt to save Odin from death itself. And to top it off, we're including a rare Hercules solo tale from Marvel Premiere. Sweet. Collecting Thor number 229 through 224 and Marvel Premiere number 26, this volume of Thor Masterworks will hit the stores on July 15th.
0: Very nice. And even though I pretty much just swiped, that, that's a uh, that's just a Marvel solicit, yeah, but I swiped it from our friends over at marvelmasterworks.com. So just a quick shout out to, the, to everybody over there. Hi, guys.
2: Hi. (laughs) All right, and finally, this week saw the debut of our own new publishing venture, the Master's Series. Hey, that's us. Yippee! Calistration has released the first set of high-quality art restorations featuring Little Nemo in Slumberland by Windsor McKay. Restored for the first time directly from original art and presented at the original print size, The two 18-by-24-inch full-color prints come with a companion print containing scans of the original art and original Sunday newspaper strip.
0: It looks really cool.
2: You can order your copy now directly from Kelestration.com. I'm Heather Bates, and it is what it is.
0: Nice. No, oh, that wasn't too bad. But hold on, now before you go, I want. Uh, we, we were coming up with uh, different sign-offs for you in case you didn't come up with one, mm-hmm. and and you did, which is gr- which is great. But uh, so could you just read the ones that we came up with, starting right here.
2: All right, I'm Heather Bates, and I just read you the news.
0: Nice. All right. How about how about this one?
2: I'm Heather Bates, and you're just a little bit geekier now. Nice.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good one.
2: Yeah. I'm Heather Bates, and that's enough.
0: All right, and finally.
2: What? I'm Heather Bates, and <laughs> Batman. That's horrible. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I, like I don't that. know if I like that one. All you right. know, my parents are going to listen to this. Are they? Oh. Probably. Hi, guys. So I don't think I want to say that. Oh. On-
0: All, right. All right, she didn't say it. That yeah. was me. That, that he was, made me do it. That was that was me doing my Heather invitation. Sorry about that. Uh, th- did you have fun? I did have fun. That was fun. That was that was that was nice. And um, uh, you know, maybe next time I'll have better news. Mm.
2: Uh, it was good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's going to do it for this edition of Restoring History Podcast. And before we let you go, let me remind you that this show is sponsored by Calistration Digital Art Restoration. Visit calistration.com, K-E-L-L-U-S-T-R-A-T-I-O-N, and take a look at our new master series of prints featuring Little Nemo and Slumberland, faithfully restored from the original art, and available to order now from calistration.com. That's calistration.com. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we hope
1: to catch you next time.